Hey guys, we are so glad that you're here today and came out in the rain. I mean, that's, that's commitment, baby, coming out through a couple drops of rain to come to church, waking up on a Sunday morning. It's good to have you here. We're in our series on the book of Romans, so if you have your Bible, you got a phone with the Bible app on it, go to Romans chapter 6 today. And we only got a few more weeks of this, and it's, it's been really good as we get to walk through what, what the Apostle Paul, through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, has to say to our lives. While you're turning there, I want to ask a question. Who here sometimes struggles with keeping your options open a little too much? Keeping your options open, you don't want to quite commit to anything. See, you guys can't commit. You're like, do I raise my hand or not? I can't commit. I don't know. So a few of us do. On a Friday night, you're like, hey, I got an invitation to go hang out with a friend and watch a movie. There's also this trivia night going on somewhere I could go to. Uh, I could also just, you know, get a few friends together and just hang out, play some Mario Kart. And you can't really commit to something or decide. And so what do you end up doing? Sitting by yourself in a dark room with your best friend named Netflix, okay? And just the two of you just sitting together there and hanging out. Because you want to keep your options open so much, you can't commit to something that you end up just defaulting to the status quo. This happens all the time, all the time in relationships and dating and, and maybe it's just a guy thing. I'm not going to speak for the ladies, but a lot of guys really struggle with committing. Can I get an amen from somebody, from some ladies maybe, some amens? Nope. Okay, all the ladies are like, no, all the guys we know are perfectly great at committing. Okay, well, not a lot of the guys I know. And so struggle to commit sometimes, and then you have dating apps, which is just throwing a whole wrench into this thing, where it's like, do I commit to this person right now? Because I've got 200 more options I can check out tomorrow. And you struggle to commit and you struggle to know and you, you want to keep your options open so you don't miss out on the best option. But by doing that, you end up and remain single, right? And over and over again in our lives, we want to keep our options open and not just go all in on something because we're trying to make sure we're getting the best possible deal. I was trying to buy a, an airplane ticket recently. One hour after the service today, I'm flying out uh, from the airport, if the weather's okay. And I had to buy this ticket. I'm, so I'm going to preach short today. This will be a solid 10-minute message. Can you get amen on that? So I had to, amen, everybody says. And so I had to buy a ticket, and I was trying to wait until the perfect possible time to buy a ticket. You guys ever bought a plane ticket before? Like Tuesdays are supposed to be the best time, but I hit the first Tuesday, and it was like the Tuesday close to a holiday, so that wasn't a good time to buy it. So I had to wait, and I kept waiting, and then I waited too long, and the ticket price just did this. So I ended up paying $500 for a $400 ticket. Why? Because I just couldn't commit. I was trying to keep my options open, trying to figure it out. A lot of times in our lives, I want you to hear this. We try to keep our options open to make sure we get the best possible thing. But in doing that, often we find ourselves stuck. I want to show you what I mean here from what Paul says. If you're in Romans 6 today, Romans 6 verse 15, this is what Paul writes to us. He had just said, hey, we're not under the law anymore, we're under grace. And then he says this, what then? Shall we sin because we're not under the law but under grace? And then he says, by no means. Now, I don't know how you would translate this if we're translating it for the Bible today, but it roughly translates, should we keep on sinning? Oh, heck no. That's the nicest way I can say it here at church. Like, of course not. No way. Or if you're cool, nah, fam. No way we're going to do that. No way we should keep on sinning. And he says, don't you know this, that when you offer yourselves to someone as obedient slaves, you're slaves of the one you obey, whether you're slaves to sin, which leads to death, or to obedience, which leads to righteousness. But thanks be to God that although you used to be slaves to sin, you have come to obey from your heart the pattern of teaching that has now claimed your allegiance. You've been set free from sin and you become slaves to righteousness. And this is good news for us today. 
Paul uses this terminology about slaves. You're slaves to sin or you're slaves to obedience. And he uses it because he's writing to an audience. They lived in ancient Rome about 60 AD, so a long time ago. And a lot of them were either current slaves or former slaves. So he's writing to people who understand this language of slavery. Now, when we hear it, it might even seem offensive. It's just so separate from our experience now. Slavery is something we know is in our history 150 years ago, but we just think that's in the past. Why is he bringing this up? It's because he's writing to people that for them, this was a reality. And what they would have understood is, especially for the ones who were still slaves, is that their master controlled every aspect of their lives. He controlled when they got up, when they went to bed, what they did with all their time, what they did with their energy, when they ate, when they couldn't eat, what their responsibilities were every day. It was all controlled and determined by the master. And we understand this. This is what slavery is. And what Paul says is this, but look, you are either slaves to sin, which will lead to death, or you are slaves to obedience, and he means obedience to God, which leads to righteousness. Now, I love this, the obedience to God. Sometimes the first step in our lives towards going deeper with God is not, because often we want to snap our fingers and be changed totally inside. Often our first step is just obeying God and trusting him to bring the transformation. When we obey, it says it leads to righteousness. Righteousness is the part of you becoming more like God, you being becoming the right kind of person God wants you to be. And so sometimes your first step is just saying, you know what, God has said this, I'm going to follow him even if I don't understand. Stand it. But you're either slaves to sin or you're slaves to God. And Paul says this. If you try to keep your options open, you're going to end up in one of these. There's no way to avoid it. And if you end up in one of them, you're going to end up a slave to sin where it's not God controlling every part of your life. It's sin dictates what you think about, what you do, how you live your life. Sin is going to dictate that. But then he keeps going, and I love this. Verse 17. But thanks be to God... That you who used to be slaves to sin, at one point you were slaves to sin, sin determined everything about you, you have become to obey from your heart the pattern of teaching that has now claimed your allegiance. I love this idea of there's this pattern of teaching we love and we're actually from our heart going to obey it. Anybody here uh, like essential oils? Essential oils are the weirdest thing to me. Now look, I get it, probably just about every lady here and some of the guys even secretly love them. But essential oils are the weirdest thing because people, when they love them, they love them. It's a cult. <laughs> essential oils is a cult. It's a really wonderful, fresh-smelling cult, but it is a cult. And it's just like, you, you can come up to someone and be like, hey, I have a brain tumor right now. You know, I should probably go to the doctor. And they'd be like, no, no, here's, take a drop of peppermint essential oil and put it on your pillow at night. It'll take care of your tumor in your brain. People just love essential oils. And here's what, here's what it is. I'm not knocking essential oils. I just haven't gotten to experience it yet. So sell me some after the service or something like that. But, but the reason, the reason people, people go all in on it and they do it from the heart, right? They believe it because they've experienced it and they love essential oils. There's other stuff we do like this, all these weird workout fads, CrossFit, you know, people love CrossFit. Like, if you're a CrossFit person, you live and breathe CrossFit. You wake up every day and, and swear your allegiance to CrossFit. Uh, some, and my brother, just oldest brother, just started something called Tabata. Anybody know what Tabata is? Yeah, I didn't either. I didn't want to know what it was. It's like Spanish music you play during your workouts, and then they have someone on there counting. She's like, 30 seconds left. 15 seconds left. And I don't know what he does in it. I think he just like does normal weightlifting. But all I'm expecting is to come home one day and him doing some weird like Spanish salsa dance in our garage. 
I, he loves Tabata, though, and he, he thinks it's great. He's like, in 10 minutes, you can get a whole workout in. And so he, t Tabata has his allegiance. It has his heart. Weird stuff. For some of us, it's Marvel in D.C. You got your allegiance, and so it has your heart. And used to be, some people would be like, I'm DC. Some people would be like, I'm Marvel. Now everyone's like, yeah, we pretty much have to be Marvel because that's the best one by far. But some people are still DC. But it's got your allegiance, and so then it gets your heart, and your heart's all in on it. Here's where I'm going with all this. When it comes to our relationship with God and following God or not following God, where your allegiance is is where your heart should be. So if your allegiance is to the pattern of teaching, that the, the pattern of teaching they're talking about here is Jesus. The word for pattern means mold or stamp. In other words, we're going to end up in the mold of Jesus. The pattern of teaching that should have our allegiance should be the life of Jesus, what he taught, how he lived. But I think for a lot of us, I can't just be really honest here, a lot of us, we have an allegiance to the pattern of teaching, but our hearts aren't always in alignment with it. So, so we do recognize, in fact, most people recognize Jesus was an incredible teacher. Uh, if you're a Christian, you recognize that he was the son of God. He was God in the flesh, teaching us how God wants us to live, teaching us the way we should go. We all get that. That's the pattern of teaching. But a lot of us, I think, I think this is the truth, from our hearts don't always want to follow that. From the heart, what it means is not faking it. At the core of who you are, the heart in the Bible is the, the core part where your desires and your commitments and everything you want to do is. And I think a lot of us have an allegiance to the teachings of Jesus. We have an allegiance to who he was, but our hearts aren't all in it. We're not just overwhelmingly, passionately seeking God. When, when, you, when you live one way, uh, but behind the scenes you live another way, it's called hypocrisy. And I think most of us have, have either been that person or known that person, and we don't like hypocrisy. Uh, Jesus didn't like hypocrisy. Jesus would go to the religious leaders of the day who would, would act like on the outside they were one thing, and inside they weren't. He, he called them whitewashed tombs. Like, on the outside you look good, you're dead inside. He told them that. Jesus was kind of mean sometimes. And he hated hypocrisy. And I think we all understand that, though. Here's what I'm scared of. I think a lot of us understand the right thing. We try to live the right way but we can't be honest with ourselves about our spiritual condition. I think a lot of us, if we really stop and we're honest with, with ourselves, would say, you know what, in my heart, there's a lot of times my desires go so strongly against what God wants. I may do the right thing just because I know it's the right thing, but I'm not passionately behind it. And here's what I want to encourage you with. If you're doing the right thing for God, that's an incredible, amazing thing. If you're following what God has said and you're trying to be like Jesus, that's amazing. I want to encourage you in that. No matter where you are with God, if you are trying to follow what Jesus said and follow how he lived, that's incredible. But it's not all there is. God wants you to follow what Jesus taught and how he lived, but not just to do it, but to do it from the heart. It's the difference between having a passion in life and having a job in life. Who here's got a passion? You got a passion of something you, you just love? You just can't wait till you get to do that again. For some people, it's art. Now, I've tried the art thing, and everyone around me asked me to never do it again. I am not an artist. Art is not what I do. Uh, but, but some of us have instruments you play. For a lot of guys, you started playing guitar when you were a teenager because you had a girl you liked, and you just, you just had to learn that love song to play for her. And you just, now you just love guitar. For some people, it's, it's art 
or anime or Marvel or Tabata. Get out there in your garage and do your Tabata. Whatever it is, you have something you're passionate about. Now, does anyone have to come to you and just say, time to be passionate again. Time to think. You haven't thought about that thing for a while. Time to think about your passion. No, because you just do it. I'm passionate about it. I love this thing. You're probably spending, when you're doing, you're supposed to be focusing on other stuff. You're probably focusing on your passion. And that's where your heart is. That's where your mind is. That's where you want your time to go. Now, what about your job? Now, some of you here may love your job. It may be your dream job. And there's maybe one of us here who feels that way. The rest of us, you're thinking, oh, Monday morning. It's Sunday morning right now. Monday morning is just around the corner. I got to go back to work. I got to wake up. I mean, I love my boss and everything, but I got to go back to work. My coworkers are just the greatest, but I got to go back to work again. Most of us don't look forward to going into work every day. But we're passionate about whatever that thing is in our lives that is our passion. And here's, here's what I want you to think of, your life in terms of that, of, of your job and passion. Now you, you get, you're going to do your job. You've got to make money. You might find some fulfillment in it. But your passion is what you're really going to drive you. Now I want you to think about your relationship with God. The pattern of teaching that we have from Jesus. Do you live out that pattern of teaching because you know you need to do it, and nope, it's time, Sunday morning, time to go to church again, and Monday morning, better, better go to work, because you know, it says in the Bible, we need to work, ask for the Lord, not for men, and just kind of, I'm just going to do it. Is that your approach to following God? Or is your approach, I'm always thinking about it. How do I get to serve God and honor God? How do I get to, to do the right thing? In fact, you're even looking for wrong things so that you cannot do them. You're like, what's the wrong thing I cannot do today? You're so passionate about following God and honoring him. It just comes out. It's almost an obsession. People around you start to say, she's a little weird. She's a little godly, a little too weird, following God a little too much. It's just so much your passion. I think for most of us, if we're being honest, and we're trying to be honest today, we look at our lives and say, you know what? A lot of times following God feels more like a responsibility, like a job, not like a passion. And here's what I want us to understand. We don't have to fake it on the outside or on the inside. If you are not following God from the heart, don't try to fake yourself into thinking you are. When you fake yourself into thinking that you are and you're not, what it says here is when you're a slave to sin, it leads to death. By faking ourselves out, it can lead to spiritual death for us. It's kind of like this. I was, I was reading a couple years ago in a magazine this incredible story, and I don't know what magazine it was, but it was about an artist. I don't read about artists a whole lot. Uh, remember, I tried the whole art thing and did not work out. And so I steer clear of art as much as possible. But I was reading about this artist named Hans von Mirgen. What a name. You know he's got to be a phenomenal artist if he's named that. Hans von Mirgen. He was back right before World War II in the Netherlands. And he did these incredible paintings, but none of the art critics at the time liked him. Because all the paintings he was doing looked like they were done by Leonardo da Vinci, like way back in the day. They weren't modern. They weren't new. They weren't original. And so people would look at his work, and they'd say, hey, it's nice. It's technically nice, I guess, but it's not original. And he got frustrated one day, and he said, you know what I'm going to do? I am going to do a painting that looks like it was done by one of the great artists. And so he did a painting that looked like it was done by Vermeer. Anybody know who Vermeer is? I had, this was all news to me. Okay, a few of you smart people out. You just had art history probably. You know what it is. Vermeer. And Vermeer was this great Renaissance painter. And so von Meergen did a painting like it was Vermeer. And it looked just like Vermeer. And he showed it to one of the art critics and said, hey, I found this painting by this great old artist. And it's never been discovered before. And the art critic just was like, this is the most amazing thing in the world. 
He said, it's the greatest painting Vermeer has ever done, the greatest painting he's ever done. And so the, the guy who did this, the painter, was like, you know what? I'm going to show them. So he actually put it into an exhibit, and he was going to unveil and say, hey, it's all a scam. This is all a scam. But then he actually sold the painting for a couple million dollars back in the 1940s. And then he had a change of heart. He thought, you know what? Instead of uh, unveiling the scam, I'm just going to scam some more people. And he started making these forgeries and selling them to people, making millions of dollars along the way. Now, everything he's making is fake, right? I mean, he's doing it, but he's acting like it's somebody else's. Well, eventually the Nazis come into power, and he actually sells some fake paintings to the Nazis, which is really funny to me, like making millions of dollars off the Nazis by giving them something that's worthless. And he's selling these fake paintings to the Nazis. Well, after the war ends, now follow me on this. They come back through, and they're trying to return paintings to everybody that were stolen and taken by the Nazis, and they come back to this painter, Van Meergen, and they say, hey, where'd you get this painting by Vermeer? Where'd you get this beautiful old painting? And he's like, I can't tell you, because he did it. He forged it. He's like, I can't tell you. And so they put him on trial for stealing a painting and selling it to the Nazis. And he was up, and he could be killed for this. Now, imagine, like, like, what if you wake up one day and you realize, I could be killed because I faked a painting. Like, at that point, I'm fessing up. So he does. He confesses to it. He's like, hey, I totally faked this painting. It was me. It's not a real painting. And all the art experts look back at him and say, oh, no, this is a real painting. This, this is the real guy. Get what he had done. He had faked it so well that nobody around him believed it was fake. All the experts around him said, no, this is real. A lot of times in our lives, we can live so well for God. We can manage our image so well. You're always, your Instagram story, you're always helping people, you're serving people. You're always at church, you're, you're serving people at church. You're kissing babies on the forehead just in the supermarket and the grocery store because you're just so great. You're just doing all the perfect stuff and everyone just says, oh, that's the real deal. That is the real deal. But you know deep inside, that's you're not doing it because you want to honor the Lord from the heart. You're doing it just because you know it's the right thing to do. You got to kiss a baby on the forehead today. Check that one off the list. You got to help an old lady across the street today. Check that one. You're just doing all the right stuff. Now, what happened to this artist, Van Meergen? He's, he's on trial to be killed, potentially. And he says, hey, that, this, I did this. This was all fake. And they didn't believe him. So he actually had to paint a painting to prove that looked like Vermeer to prove that he had done the forgery. Can you imagine painting for your life? You don't want me painting for your life. Trust me. I paint for your life. You get a stick figure, and that's it, a house maybe behind him. But he did the painting so well, and he showed that it was actually him, and he didn't get killed. And then everyone celebrated him because they're like, you tricked the Nazis. You tricked the Nazis. He's like, yes, I did. And he became a hero suddenly. Talk about a change of fortune. But a lot of times in our lives, now just follow me on this. This is big. We fake it so well for ourselves and for other people that we miss out on what God has for us. And I want you to hear this. God has promised in his word that he can change you from your heart. God's not into just changing your behavior. God doesn't want to just make you into a nice person doing nice things. He wants to change you from the core of who you are to where even what you desire lines up with what he desires. That's big. Here's why that's hard. And here's what's keeping us from living into that most of the time. It's a four-letter word. You guys ready to hear it? Four-letter word. The will, W-I-L-L. -L. Turn to somebody next to you and say will. Just say it like you mean it. I'm serious. Like, say it out loud right now. So like, say will. will. You, guys are, you guys are all asleep on me. I got to get you talking so you stay with me. This is what the will is. The will is the part of you that decides the direction you go in life. Now, before you were a Christian, if you're a Jesus follower today, you're a Christian, uh, God has transformed your will. 
But before you were a Christian, you couldn't decide, just decide to follow God. You were so twisted, so broken, every single one of us was, that we were unable to choose to do the right thing. In fact, we would find ourselves constantly stuck in a pattern of sin over and over and over again. Now, we believed in Jesus. We trusted in him, and no longer are we under our sin. We're now under his grace. We're free from that. To our wills, we can actually use our wills to decide to follow God. And here's what your will is. Let me explain it. Put it in terms all of us can understand. Your will is the thing that when you wake up at 6 a.m. in the morning, and you can either stay in bed or you can go run five miles, your will is what decides that. Now, real fast, show of hands, who's, who would run five miles when you wake up at 6 a.m.? Real fast. I know we got at least one person here today. Raise that hand high, Allie. Raise it high. We got one. She literally does it every day. How many of you would be like, stay in the bed, stay in the loving embrace of the bed? That is me 100%. Your will decides that. If you have a strong will, your will is going to decide, let's go running. If you don't, you're going to stay in the bed. And that's, that's the will. Now, think about this spiritually. In your life, your will, you can decide to use your will for God or for yourself. And our will, in reality, most of the time, we want to use for ourselves. And the key to having a heart that is fully given over to God, a heart that actually from who you are, you want to follow the pattern of teaching God has given, you got to give up your will. But we don't most of the time. And here's, here's why you don't give up your will. Because you're afraid that God will not do what's really best for you. Like, we trust God to a point, but when it means giving up control of your life, we stop trusting God. We think that God is going to do the right thing up until the point we've got to sacrifice. So we have, really, it's a fear of missing out. It's a spiritual fear of missing out. We think, if, if I really trust God and follow God all the way, I'm going to have to miss out on some fun. I, if I really trust God, I'm going to have to miss out on a good future. I might follow God's future, and I don't quite trust that future. If, I, if I'm going to really go all in and give up my will, I'm going to miss out on some sexual satisfaction in life instead of getting what I want. And so I'm, I just can't give that part up. You know, when it comes to a relationship, I know that in order to get into a relationship I want, I'm going to have to cut some corners and I'm going to have to sacrifice some things I know I should hold up as good standards in my life. So I can't trust God with that area. I got to go with my own way. And every time we go with our own way, it keeps us from having wills that are surrendered to God so he can help us from the heart live for him. Can I tell you the good news, though? It does not have to be this way. I think a lot of us are beat down. We're following Jesus, but you're beat down because you've held on to your will. And over and over again, you have an opportunity to, from your heart, live into the pattern of teaching that Jesus showed us. But instead of doing that, over and over again, you find yourself in a pattern of sin. Over and over again, you try to do the right thing, and you try to do it like it's your job, and you end up back in a pattern of sin. And I want you to flip the script. From a passionate heart that wants to honor God, let's follow the pattern of teaching he's given us. How do you do this? You've got to give up your will. If you haven't given up your way for God's way, it's because you don't trust that God has the best plan for you. And if you don't trust that God has the best plan for you, you're going to find yourself continually stuck in your own way, in your pattern of sin. You're going to be a slave to sin, to put it bluntly. And that way is going to end in death. But God from the heart wants to set you free. I love this final verse, verse 18. You have been set free from sin, and now you've become slaves to righteousness. Do you believe you can be set free from sin? The Bible teaches it. Over and over again, you can be set free from sin. 
You can be freed from the power of sin. This word for being set free is used seven times in the Bible. Jesus says, who the Son sets free in John is free indeed. Who the Son sets free is free indeed. It's used four, time in, four times in Romans. Almost every single time it's used about the freedom that we as humans have in Christ. But it's used one time in Romans, Romans chapter 8, verse 21. And in there it talks about all of creation is stuck in the corruption and the sinfulness. But God is going to, at the end of time, liberate all of creation from the sin. That's a beautiful thought, right? Like every bit of pollution and corruption and twistedness in this world is going to be taken care of down the road. But here's what I want you to understand. We live in a broken world now, and someday that's all going to be made right by God's power. But that same freedom is what you and I have the opportunity to experience today. The, the, the freedom that the whole, all of creation will only get to experience way down the road, we can experience right now. From the heart, you can passionately pursue God. From the heart, you can passionately live like Jesus wants you to live. And a lot of us have been so beat down by life that we can't even see that. We can't even get there. And can I, can I be honest with you? You cannot get there. It's only by the grace of God at work in your life that you can even come to the point to follow him. Imagine what your life would look like if you were totally set free. If you were totally set free from the power of sin in your life. You didn't fall into patterns of sin over, I got out of this addiction, I got back into this addiction. I got out of this sinful habit, I got back into this sinful habit. I got out of this and back into that and out of this and back into that. Your life doesn't have to look like that. Christ can free you completely from the power of sin to where you're a slave to him so much that he just, everything you're thinking about and everything you're doing is what he wants. That's the promise that this passage gives to us, that we can live lives like that. What's it going to take for you to come to that point? If you're already a follower of Jesus, it's going to mean that you have to give up what you want. And this is hard. This is rubber meets the road. You got to give up what you want. So what's the area of your life where you're, you're a little worried or concerned or afraid to give to God? Maybe it is your future. I know we got a lot of young people here. Uh, your future. You're concerned about jobs, relationships, what life looks like. You don't want to feel isolated and alone, friendships, all this stuff. Do you trust God's plan for you enough to go with him no matter what? I know for a lot of us, it's about other people in our lives. You're afraid to give that person, uh, maybe it's romantic, maybe it's just a, a child or, or something else. You're afraid to trust God with that person. You want to try to control it. You want to try to control them. God's asking you to give up your will, give up your own way for his way. I believe right now the Holy Spirit's speaking to some people. I think the Holy Spirit, God himself, is speaking to you. He's raising something up. You're saying, oh, that, that's the area where I'm holding on to my own way. That's the area I'm holding on to my own will. If God is speaking to you and challenging you on something, listen to him. Only by giving up our own way can you from the heart passionately follow the way that God has for us. It says in, in the Bible, it talks about a time when Jesus comes to, to a challenging point in his life. Uh, Steve McCartney is one of the leaders here at Foundry, and he was recently over in Israel getting to travel around for a while. And see all the sites, you know, they're not quite sure where Jesus rose from the dead. So you have like where the Catholics believe he rose from the dead and where the Protestants think he rose from the dead. And if you go to both sites, you, you probably got it covered one way or the other. You go to both sites, you see where Jesus had the Last Supper, we think, we're not quite sure. You see Steve Galilee where Jesus walked on the water. Incredible stuff. Like Jesus, he was going all around. You can go see all of that. And Steve said the most powerful thing he saw while he was in Israel is in the Garden 
of Gethsemane. The Garden of Gethsemane, if, if you don't quite remember the story, is where Jesus went. He knew he was about to be arrested. And after he was arrested, he knew he was going to be beat up and put on a cross and killed. And he knew this was going to be painful and hard. And so he was praying to his heavenly father in this garden. And he says, Father, I don't want to do this. If there's any other way, make it happen. But then he says, Father, not what I will, but what you will. Not my way, but your way. Do you realize that is the prayer of freedom right there? Father, not my way, but your way. Father, not my way with my life, with my relationships, with my future, but your way. Father, not my way with what I have going on, Father, but, but your way. That is the final prayer Jesus prayed before he started the path to his death. But you got to understand what God knew and what, what God the Father knew and what Jesus knew is that his death wasn't the end. He would be raised up and glorified. For you right now, you have to come to a point where you are willing to give everything up for God. If you want to be free, if you want to from the heart follow God, you got to come to the point where you say, Father, not my will, but your will. Not my way, but your way. What would that look like? What would you have to give up? Let's go to prayer right now. And as, as we're going to prayer, I want us to take seriously the prayer Jesus prayed. When he said, Father, not my will, but your will. If there's something the Holy Spirit is bringing up in your heart right now, something you know is not in alignment, something you know you're trying to hold on to, pray right now. I want you to pray from your heart. Don't deceive yourself. Don't fake it inside. Be honest with yourself. Be honest with God about where you're at. And say, God, this is it. This is where I want to hold on to my own way. But Father, not my will, but your will. Father, not my way, but your way. Holy Spirit, come into this place. Speak to each one of us. Father, for the places where we're trying to hold on, where we don't want to give over, where we don't want to submit our lives to you, we're afraid to be slaves for you because we're afraid of what that might mean. Father, show us what it would look like for us to remain slaves of sin and then show us the freedom we can have in you. Speak to different people here, Lord. I know there, there are things in our lives that you want to speak to us about. So we just invite you, God, to speak and to challenge and convict us of our sin. Convict us of the points we're holding on to our own wills. As we remain in prayers, or anyone here who's saying, you know what, there is an area where I want my way and I'm struggling to trust God's way. I want to trust God's way, but I'm struggling to. Anyone willing just to slip up a hand and just on the outside show on the inside, we got a bunch of hands up. Anybody else? And that's me. That's me. We got a bunch of hands up. Anybody else? Let me pray for you right now in particular. Jesus, for your dear sons and daughters who have shown by a hand raised, Lord, that there's nothing special in that, but they've shown by a hand raised that you're doing something on the inside. You're challenging them, Lord. And I believe that the people who raise their hands and maybe others here don't want to be slaves to sin anymore. They want to be set free. They want to have freedom that can only be found in you. So God, I ask that you would help them to fully be able to give over their will and their way to you. Father, help them. Empower them today. Empower them this week to give it over to you and to passionately from the heart live up and obey your pattern of teaching. Father, help us today. We want to be yours entirely. Let this moment not just be a moment. Let it be something that continues on.
Lord, something that continues on throughout this week and throughout the rest of our lives as we continually say, not my will, but your will be done. We pray this in your name, Jesus.